For several weeks now in our study, we have seen and we have talked about the fact that the world needs Jesus. Boy, does it. The world needs Jesus. And for several weeks now, we have seen and we've talked about the truth that it is the mission of the church to proclaim Jesus to them. That is how they will hear the good news. That's how they will receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, in the church, we have a duty, we have a calling, we have the commission to proclaim Jesus to a lost world. And here's the truth, and if we do not, they will not hear. It, it is as dire as that. It is, it is as big as that. We have a call, a duty to proclaim Jesus to a lost world, and if we do not, they will not here. Well, today we move along in our study in the book of Acts, and we see what the response is when the gospel is preached. We see what happens when the good news of our Savior is proclaimed. Now, we are not left to wonder. We can go to the pattern of what has always happened. We can go to the pattern that Scripture tells us will happen. And we can know what to expect when we proclaim the hope that we have in our Savior, in our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now listen, isn't it just like our God, not only to call us to go and proclaim the gospel, not only to prepare us to go and proclaim the gospel, but so we can do it efficiently, so we can do it effectively, so we do not get discouraged in the process he actually tells us what we can expect when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, isn't that a tremendous thing? Yes, he gives us a calling. Yes, it is a weighty calling, but he also tells us what it is we can expect as we undertake the calling so we would be effective in it. Our message today is entitled, Not Surprised. Not Surprised. Our verses today, we're in Acts chapter 13, Verses 42 through 52, through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 52. Not surprised. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. God's Word says this, beginning in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them, the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. 
But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your character. We're so thankful for your nature, that you're good, that your loving kindness, your mercy has no end, that your compassions do not fail. We're so thankful for the grace that you show us as sinners in our hope, Jesus. Lord, we come today and we as your people exalt and lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would not be just an event to pass through, not just the passing on of information, not a lecture, but I, I pray that you would speak through your word. You tell us your word is living and active. We know it's relevant today. And, and so I pray for your church in this day that you would lead us, that you would teach us, that you would convict us, that we as individuals as we leave here, that we would be different having been in the hearing of the word of God. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the good news of a risen Savior, the remedy for sin, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this event. We lay it out before you. We pray, we hope that you would be honored and glorified in it. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we begin our, our verses today. Remember the context. Paul has traveled to Pisidian Antioch, and there he has preached the radical message of Jesus. Now, again, I said it last week. I think we fail to see how radical, how profound that message was preached to, to those mostly Jewish folks, but he has gone there, and he has gone to the synagogue, and he has preached the radical message of Jesus. He has gone into great detail explaining Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, the Savior for sinners. Now, again, that must have been an absurd thing to hear, but Jesus, the, the, the Nazarene, this one is the Messiah, the Savior for sinners. We, we saw it last week. It is a tremendous message, a profound and radical message that there is the forgiveness of sin there is hope that the law could not provide found in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, today we come and we continue in our verses, and it is the same event, it is the same account, but now we leave that message, that tremendous message, and we see we actually get to survey the response to that message. In doing so, we're going to see five things today that we find in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. So again, we move out of the message. We're now going to survey the response to the message. And in surveying the response, we're going to see five things that we find in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. All right, the first thing is this. First thing we find Good things are found in close proximity 
to the preaching of the Bible. That's the first thing. Good things are found in proximity to the preaching of the gospel. All right, let's look at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Paul preaches, Paul explains Jesus as the Savior. Now, not only has he declared that, he has backed it up with their history. He preaches Jesus as the Savior, and then he backs it up by pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. He preaches Jesus as the Savior, the remedy for sin, and then he backs it up by pointing to his miraculous resurrection. He has preached an amazing message. Well, now as he leaves, the Bible says that they are begging him. The word, the word begging in the original language means they are calling for, they are pleading. They are begging that these same things would be spoken next week on the Sabbath. And so there are some folks, he's finished this message, and they are pleading, would you come back next week and preach this again? Would you come back next week and lay this out again? And they're actually begging the preacher, be sure and be back next week and preach this to us again. I don't know if I've ever had that happen. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> come back, be sure and come back and, and tell us this again. Verse 43. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and Many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Now, as, as the sermon, as the, as the synagogue meeting breaks up, some of them are saying, be sure and come back. Be sure and come back next week and do it again. But some others are not waiting for next week. They're not waiting for the next opportunity. They actually follow them out of the synagogue. They have heard the message that there is the forgiveness of sin by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you can imagine, as they leave the synagogue, they actually go out with them. They follow them out. The Bible says Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to keep on in what they've heard. God is a gracious God. He has provided the Messiah that he promised, the hope that he has always told us about. And they, they encouraged them to stay with the hope, the truth that they had heard. All right, verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to picture this in verse 44. The profoundness of the message, the hope of the message, the truth of the message has been received, has been preached. Jesus is the Savior. We've been looking for a Savior. We've been looking for one that would come and be our hope, our King. We've been looking for one that would be in the line of David. We've been looking for the one that was promised all the way back to the garden and, and was promised to Abraham. And, and now they've heard Jesus is that one. Jesus is the Savior. We have our Messiah. And then not only that, but by believing in him, not only is he king, 
He's the sacrificial lamb. Not only by believing in him uh, do we find a king, by believing in him we have the forgiveness of sin. And all these great proofs have been explained. And the Jews and the Gentiles alike had heard it. Well, I want you to picture this, and this is what happens in, in verse 44. All during the week, somebody says, did you hear what happened at the synagogue? Did you hear the message that was preached? Did you hear what was said at the synagogue? And somebody starts to say, well, I, I heard they said this. And, and somebody else says, you know what? I was actually there. I, I heard the message. And somebody else said, well, it made sense. He lined it up and he showed us from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. And, and can you imagine what that might mean? And somebody else is, is somewhere else in, during the week and, and can you imagine the truth that we've heard? And somebody else says, have you heard the, the blasphemy that was heard there at the temple? Do you know what he was saying when he said that? Verse 44, all during the week at the market, it was the buzz. In the street, as they pass each other, as they come to the corners, it was all the rage. At the, at the supper table at night, it would consume the talk. Did you hear what was said? Can you imagine if that's true? It consumes the talk. Someone says, you know what I, you know what I heard today? I heard he's coming back this Sunday. I heard he's going to preach it again this Sunday. I hear the message is going to be there Sunday. And somebody else says, you know what, I, I'm going to be there. And you know what, I'm going to be there too. And someone says, well, if y'all are going, I might as well go as well. And the momentum builds during the week. He's coming back. I'm going to hear that message. We'll be there. The Bible says nearly the whole city, almost the whole city is there. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? It's, it's all the rage. Their, their, their curiosity is stirred. Some of them have, have maybe already believed and their hope is just flowing out. And the entire, nearly the entire city shows up. Now I want you to think about this. It's going to be important in a second. Most of Pisidian Antioch was Gentile. He goes to the Jewish synagogue, but most of the city was Gentile. And so I want you to understand what this means. If almost the whole city shows up, it's mostly a Gentile crowd that shows up. Now, the first point is this. Where the gospel is preached, in close proximity, there will be good things happening. And that's the, that's the truth of it. That, that sounds pretty simple, but let me just tell you, that's the simple truth of it. Where the gospel is preached in close proximity, there will be good things happening. Now, that's just the nature of it. It is a message of hope, and so where it's preached, you're going to find hope take root. It is, it is a message of joy, and so where it is preached, you're going to find joy start to flourish. It is a message of good news. Listen, truly good news. And so when the world is dark, when the world is heavy, when the world is bleak, and you preach good news in close proximity, you're going to find good things going on. Listen to me very carefully. Do you know that is then as well as now? Do you know that? When the gospel is proclaimed, hope and joy and peace take hold. 
and good things start to happen when and where you find the gospel preached. Let me tell you something today. Right now, you know what we need, and I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, you know what we need right now? Today, we need some good things to happen. I, I look around, and, and all it is is garbage, and all it is is craziness, and all it is is bad thing after bad thing, and I'll just tell you, you do well probably to turn off your TV. You do well to turn off your phone. All we have is bad news and bad news, and I don't care which side you're on. The other side has more bad news than your side, and it's all negative, and it's all slanderous, and, and I'm not sure we're going to make it till Wednesday. We may all be gone. We're not going to make it. You know what we need? We need some good things to happen. You know when that's going to happen? When we proclaim there is a risen Savior and his name is Jesus. Good things happen in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. That is the biblical truth, the biblical pattern. Good things are found in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. False teaching is found in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. That, that seems kind of opposite of what we just talked about. But the second thing is this. False teaching is found in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. All right, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. And we're blaspheming. Let me, let me read verse 45 again. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Now, remember what has gone on here. Last week at the synagogue, it was a normal day at the synagogue. And most of the folks there were, were Jewish folks for sure. There were some Jewish proselytes, some Jewish converts uh, some Jewish sympathizers there in the crowd. A few Gentiles, but mostly it was a Jewish crowd. Well, now this week, it's mostly a Gentile crowd. Last week, it was the regular crowd. Well, this week, it is now packed. In fact, if you think about it, if the entire city, most of the city shows up, they couldn't hold them all. They had to be outside. There had to be overflow, and so now it is packed. And so the Jews seeing the difference in last week and this week, jealousy takes hold. The Jewish leaders are jealous, and so here's what they do. The Jewish leaders began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and the Bible says they were blaspheming. The word contradicting in the original language, if you go look it up, it, it means to speak against, or to speak in opposition to, really in, in, in opposite. If it's this way, they're saying the opposite thing. Now, not only is it to speak against, is it to oppose or, or to be opposite, to speak in opposition, the, the tense here is in the continual tense. And so it's not they just spoke against it, they are continuing, it is a continual thing to oppose, to speak against, what it is Paul and Barnabas are preaching. And so when they say Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy, they instantly say, no, there's no way that is true. When they say Jesus is the Christ, he is the promised anointed Savior of God, they would say it is a lie. There's no way it's possible. And they are refuting the message of God, and the Bible says they are blaspheming 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I've noticed. When the truth is spoken, when the, when the careful, clear truth of Jesus Christ is presented, proclaimed, preached, false teachers and false teaching shows up. That's, that's what I've noticed. You, you find where the truth is being hammered out. You find where the truth is being proclaimed. You find where the truth is being stood upon. And false teaching and false teachers began to creep in. You see, for Satan, the truth cannot stand. And so where it is proclaimed, he shows up. Where it is proclaimed, he works overtime. And the truth is distorted. I want you to think about our day. It's, it's close. It may be the same words, but the truth is distorted. The truth is challenged. You know what? That can't stand up. Our, our academic ideas won't confirm that. And the truth is challenged. The truth is manipulated. It means this, and a, a verse is pulled out of context. Or the church, the, the truth is withheld. It is snatched away. We're not going to let the truth enter into this realm. Or the truth is attacked. One week after this powerful declaration, the false teachers of Israel have reared up. And here they are denying the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. False teaching is found in close proximity to the proclamation of the gospel. Listen, friends, it is still that way. We have to know our truth. We have to cling to our truth. We have to stand on the truth. The lies and the false teachers, they come and they attack the truth where it is preached. False teaching is found in close proximity to the proclamation of the gospel. All right, third thing. Now, I want you to stay with me. Stay with me on this one. God works in close proximity to the proclamation of the gospel. God works in close proximity to the proclamation of the gospel. All right, look at verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, verse 46, they are bold in their response. They do not shrink away. They do not back down in their response, and they respond by saying, since you repudiate the message and you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, we're then turning to the Gentiles. Our focus is what they're saying is gonna be placed on the Gentiles. Since you repudiate the message and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, repudiate means to refuse. Now, I want you to see this. It literally translates, and I think this is a great picture, it literally translates to thrust it away. That's what it means to repudiate, to throw it far from you. That's what it literally translates. And so you hear the truth, 
You hear the good news. The man, he was great in the presentation. He was detailed in the presentation. They hear the good news and they take it and they thrust it away from them. They throw it away from them. And in so doing, he says, you declare yourselves unworthy, unfit for eternal life. I want you to hear this. A person remains lost not because God rejects you, but a person remains lost because you reject his gospel. And they heard the good news of Jesus Christ and they wouldn't have it. And so they took it and they threw it away from them. John 3, 18 says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. They say you throw the gospel away from you. Paul and Barnabas say you throw the gospel away from you, and so we're going to turn and we're going to declare it to the Gentiles. Now that is actually the fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now listen to verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Verse 47 quotes Isaiah. Paul says, Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, they say, we preach to the Jews. Now I want you to be sure of this. That is always their pattern. Some would say, well, he abandoned the Jews. They leave the Jews. Well, that's not true. You go all, read the rest of the account in Acts, read his, his epistles, his letters, um, and he always goes to the synagogue. He is always burdened for the Jews. He always tries to reach the Jews. He says, you know what? I, it would be better that I would be accursed, that I would be lost, that they would find Jesus. They preach to the Jews. That's always going to be their pattern. But he says here, we also have the command to preach to the Gentiles. Jesus is the light for them as well. That's, that's what this verse is saying. The, the, the quotation from Isaiah, the, the Messiah, that he might bring salvation to the end of the earth. I think it's important to look at these words. The end of the earth, that the Messiah would bring salvation, be the light, the salvation that would shine to the end of the earth. The end of the earth means this. Here's what it translates. All the earth. It, it, it means pressing to the corners of the earth. And so here's the earth. It's going all over the earth, to the remotest spots, to the ends, to the corners of the earth. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the remedy for sinners. Here's what I want you to hear today. And he is for all people. I want you to hear that. He is the light, he is the savior for sinners, and he is for all sinners. The testimony of scripture, the testimony of God based upon his own character is it is for all the world. It is for all sinners. It is for all people. And as they preach, now I want you to see what's happening in these verses. God's plan is being fulfilled. As they preach, God's purpose is being 
carried out. That's what it's saying here in that verse. You know, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. Isaiah said the light would always include the Gentiles. And so God's plan is going forth as they proclaim the gospel. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, I bet they did. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believe. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Can you imagine? It includes us as well. Can you imagine? They rejoice. We have a Savior. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. I want to take a second. I want to explain something right here. It says, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, I want you to stay with me. Listen very carefully. It could be confusing. I hope it's not. There are some who say that those that God appointed to get saved, another translation, I like this translation better, for appointed says ordained. For those he ordained to get saved, for those that he appointed to get saved, all of those got saved. And the idea is all that God has called, ordained, God saved. And those that did not get saved, he did not ordain or he did not appoint to be saved. Now listen very carefully. The flow of that way of thinking is that there are some people, in fact, there are many people that God does not intend to get saved. In fact, he does not even give them the opportunity to get saved. Folks, I reject that. I reject that. I believe the context of these verses rejects that as well. Now listen very carefully. The Greek word appointed is a military term. It means set in order or fixed in order. As many as, translates, whosoever, as much as, as much, or those whom. And so I want you to see this. God always intended the gospel to be for all people. That's what scripture says. That's the testimony of God's word. God always promised that the light would be for all people. That's what Isaiah was saying. He's always intended that the light would shine and be visible to all people. He said that through Abraham's descendant, all nations would be blessed. Now, where the gospel is preached, God works. And God's plan where the gospel is preached is carried out. And these Gentiles are appointed, they are set in order that those that whom he intended to be saved by the hearing of the gospel are now being saved by the hearing of the gospel. Do you see that? The answer to what Isaiah says is being fulfilled in the preaching to the Gentiles and they're receiving the gospel. Now there's some folks and they would say, well, it doesn't seem to say that. There's a lot of folks that would say that. But I would ask this question. How would God say you're accountable because you reject the gospel in verse 46? You throw away, you push away the gospel in verse 46. And then how would he turn around and say, some of you are responsible and yet you never had the opportunity to receive the gospel in verse 48? 
You see, verse 46 and verse 48 have to match up. And so listen very carefully. The point is this. God is patient, desiring that none should perish. God is patient, desiring that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He desires that none should perish. And his plan goes forth in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully. Where the gospel is preached, lives are changed. Where the gospel is preached, eternities are, are changed. Sins are forgiven. And yes, it is in the power of Jesus, in the power of Christ alone, but it is received by faith in that Savior Jesus. God works where the gospel is preached. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let me, let me say this. We talk about, man, I like to see a movement of God. I don't, I don't know, my whole life I've been in church and saying we're looking for a revival. We'd like a revival. Oh, that we would see a revival. God works where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and sins are forgiven and eternities are changed and lives glorify our Savior, Jesus. Fourth point is this. Fourth thing that's revealed is this. Persecution exists in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. God tells us that. Persecution exists in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. Now, now let, me, let me read the verse here. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. What the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Here's what happens in this verse. They could not defeat the message Paul goes in and he says, you know what, here's what the history is. Here's what the fulfillment of Scripture looks like. Here's the truth that's undeniable in the resurrection of the Savior. They could not defeat the message, so what do they do? They attack the messenger. They attack the messenger. The word incited here means they started, they provoked it, they pushed it into being. They incited it. Somebody goes to these folks that are wealthy, and I don't know why it's this group, but he finds that group and incites them and pushes them into action. It says that they instigated, it literally translates, they stirred up a persecution. They whipped up a persecution. Persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they actually drove them out of their district. In 2 Timothy 3.11, talking of this event, Paul says, great suffering was inflicted upon him in this event, pain and suffering was inflicted upon him in the preaching of the gospel in Pisidian Antioch. This very well, as I try to match it up, it could have been the account where the rich leaders of the city get the Roman guards and they, and they push them into action and they whip them with rods, they hit them with rods across the back, driving them out of the city. Listen very carefully. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the preaching of the gospel is where and how God moves. Lives are changed and great things happen. But God tells us, listen very carefully, it is never without 
a cost. It is never without the persecution of the world and Satan. Today, I, as, we, as we go through our study in Acts, as I watch our world, and I, I'll just be honest with you, I'll be very frank with you, I watch churches today with these goofy messages, with these Mickey Mouse sermons, and it's about this and it's about that and it rhymes and blah, blah, blah and it whips you up to go do, try to do something. And I wonder how in the world is that popular? Can't find the scripture in it. Can't find the Bible in it. Why is that popular? First thing I, I believe is because it's what people want. The Bible says they'll accumulate for themselves teachers who'll say what they want. I believe the bigger reason is this. Nobody wants to pay the cost. Nobody wants to pay the cost. God says here, you know what? It's going to be painful. There's going to be suffering involved in the proclamation of the gospel. Yes, it's his plan. Yes, lives are transformed, but it always comes at a cost. Persecution exists in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. Last one, fifth one, and we'll be done. Here we go. First, let me read verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, in Iconium, but they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, in, against them and went to Iconium. Jesus said in, in Luke, he says it in the gospel accounts, that when you go and you proclaim the gospel and they do not receive you, and they will not hear it and they treat you harshly, that you're to symbolically shake the dust off your feet. It was an Old Testament deal of purifying yourself to go to a pure place, but it was symbolic of rejecting uh, what they have done to you, and it's basically a sign saying, it's on you. It's on you. I, one of my favorite stories, I've probably said it before, but it makes me laugh. Uh, on Monday night visitation a couple years ago, seven, five, seven years ago, um, my dad was still up and going, and, and he'd gone and pulled out his cards, and he'd gone to a guy's house and had a guy with him, and they went, and the guy at the door was rude. You know, you don't have to be rude. The guy was rude. It doesn't happen very often, but the guy was kind of uh, pretty blunt and, and basically asked him to get out of there and, and was pretty rude. And the guy that was with my dad said, well, he got to the side, and he said, I saw your dad doing this in his back of his, doing that as he left his yard. And he thought, he must be having a seizure or something's going wrong. And they got in the car and said, what was that? And he said, I was shaking my feet off in his yard before I got in the car. Well, that's what he said. They shook their feet off. They shook it off as they left. All right, the fifth one. Here's the fifth one. Joy is found in close proximity. Ooh, listen to this one. Joy is found in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. Do you know why we want to hear the gospel? Do you know why that false stuff won't ever do it? Joy is found in close proximity to the preaching of the gospel. Listen to verse 52. And the disciples... And I, I try to figure that out. Is the disciples they left behind or the disciples that move on, I guess it's all of them. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Filled with joy. If you go to the original language, it means overflowing with joy. There's not a good English word for it. It is abundant joy. It's if you have this much joy, it blows out of that. If you try to contain it here, it rolls out of that. Abundant overflowing with joy. They are overflowing with joy. Now, here's the thing. Joy is a weird thing. Do you know the world wants joy? 
The world wants joy. The world longs for joy. The world is looking for joy. Do you see that's the day we're living in? That's what all this is about. The world is looking and longing for joy. Do you know the world can never give it? The world can never give it. Now, here's what the world can give you. The world can give you excitement. You want to get whipped up? The world can give you excitement. The world can give you pleasure. Oh, there's lots of pleasure in the world. The world can even give you happiness. Do not be fooled. It can even give you happiness, but it cannot give you joy. You want to know why? Because it doesn't have joy to give. And I watch people today, and they're trying, and they're seeking all these things that they might find joy. If I could just get all these things, they're trying to make all this money that it might bring joy. They're trying to hook up with the right person and have the right relationship. Maybe one day there I'll have joy. They try to go to a, a sporting event and cheer at the top of their lungs. They're trying to experience all the things of the world, but they can't find joy because the world does not have it. Listen carefully. There is only joy in being in a relationship with the God that created us. Did you hear that? There is only joy in being in a relationship with the God that created us. And that is only found in Jesus. Man, let's, let's teach that. Let's shout that. Let's tell our kids that. Let's hear that today. Did you hear that? We can skip all of the nonsense. There is only joy found in Jesus. There's only joy found in Jesus. You know what I want? I want the world around us to have joy. I want them to find joy. I'm tired of bitterness, tired of anger, tired of rage, tired of disappointment. Tired of heartache. I want the world around us to find joy unspeakable. Listen, friends, it will only happen when folks find Jesus. Therefore, we proclaim Jesus. How crazy, how awesome, how tremendous that God tells us what to expect when the gospel is preached. I want to end by saying this. He also tells us what the result is when the gospel is received. Do you know that? That's not a mystery either. And maybe that's why we're here today. Maybe that's why you're here today. You see, the Bible tells us that's the result when the, God, Bible, when the gospel is preached. But when the gospel is received, here's what the Bible says. There's the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin. God remembers it no more as far as the east is from the west. It's removed from you. Your shame is disconnected. He carried your shame. Your shame is dealt with. And, and, and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's peace that the world can't give. The Bible says that. In fact, it can't even understand it. Are you existing today in the absence of peace? In receiving the gospel, there is peace. In receiving the gospel, there's eternal life. Have you trusted Jesus today? You see, that's where it all comes back to. Have you trusted Jesus today? In him, the message of Paul, there's the forgiveness of sin. In him, there's reconciliation, restoration with the holy God. In him, there is joy. Have you trusted Jesus today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm so thankful for you 
I'm so thankful for your kindness, your grace shown to me as a sinner. So thankful that it's not of any work that we would do, nothing we can earn it with. So thankful our past doesn't exclude us where we can't come back. So thankful we can't get so far away that your redemption doesn't stand. I'm thankful that we have hope in Jesus. Lord, I pray for two things. I pray, first off, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, I pray in the hearing of the good news that there is redemption today, that someone might find you. Someone might turn and trust you, repent, turn from their sin, and turn to you. Lord, that's my prayer. My, my, my second prayer is, Lord, that those of us that have done that, who have received that, that overflowing with joy, that we would go and lead a lost world to the hope that endures our Savior, Jesus. Lord, help us be that church. Help us be those people. Lord, I pray that you have spoken. I know you have in your word. I pray now that as we come to this time of response that you would move, that we would be obedient, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be known. Pray that any hindrance would be removed. And I pray that the result of the next few minutes, again, would bring great glory to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.